Hello there and welcome to the Racing Home podcast brought to you by Women in Racing and Simply Racing with support from the Racing Foundation and Kindred Group. I'm Naomi Meller, an equine vet and podcast producer, and in this podcast we're talking about work and family. It's challenging being a parent, whoever you are and whatever you do, and it's particularly challenging being a parent when you work in horse racing. It's 24-7, 365 days a year. So how can we best help people manage being both great parents and valued members of the racing family? Following the Racing Home Research Project, in this podcast we'll be exploring ideas around parenthood and career progression and how to do things differently. I'll be talking to trainers, jockeys, physiotherapists and a host of the sport's experts and decision makers about their experiences, their stories and how together we can shape a positive future for all families in horse racing. Ambition. What does that mean to you? For many women, especially women of colour, LGBTQI plus folk, women with disabilities and, dare we say it, mothers, ambition is still something we often feel inclined to hide. After all, nobody likes a pushy woman, a bossy woman, an assertive woman or a woman who puts her career above all else, right? In 2015, actress and advocate Reese Witherspoon gave a speech in which she said... I believe ambition is not a dirty word. It's just believing in yourself and your abilities. What would happen if we were all brave enough to, to believe in our own ability, to be a little bit more ambitious? I think the world would change. I've got two women on the podcast today who are both incredible mothers and incredibly successful in their careers. They are talented and capable, and they have ambition in a good way. Zoe Elliott has worked in horse racing for 25 years, mostly at the BHA, but also as a freelancer. She is head of careers marketing for British Horse Racing, where she aims to promote the industry as a fantastic place to work and support people into the workplace through training and the careers in racing jobs board. After going through a divorce three years ago, Zoe is a single mum of two boys aged 13 and 10. Amy Starkey has worked in racing for 20 years, 17 of which have been at the Jockey Club. Amy started working in betting shops at the age of 18 to fund her way through university, then secured a place on the BHA graduate programme. After a stint with ARC, she joined the Jockey Club, where she's now the managing director of the Eastern Region, looking after seven racecourses in their portfolio. Amy has a 14-month-old son called James with her partner Chris, and they also co-parent Chris's two children from a previous relationship, a 14-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. We opened the conversation chatting about what it was like when Zoe and Amy started their careers. Were there many working mothers around then? What about mentors and role models? I I don't think I was particularly conscious of working mothers in the industry, actually. Certainly when I started out, um, I I wonder, you know, that's quite a long way back, 25 years, Perhaps there were less senior women in the industry that had stayed in the industry in those roles and were bringing up a family. So, no, I don't think there were particular role models. I'm trying to think hard. And and when I think about mentors that I had in my really early career, they were probably male. 
Yeah, so I think um, I think I'd, I totally agree with Zoe that um, I, I guess I wasn't overly conscious of working mums when I came into the racing industry when I was 22. But there were definitely, you know, some female role models, you know, the, the, the two that spring to mind. I worked with Julie Harrington who has a daughter when she was at Northern Racing um, and um, and she was absolutely fantastic in terms of teaching me. And we had a long conversation once about imposter syndrome, um, which which has stayed with me for an awful long time. I still get that slight feeling that somebody's going to knock at the door one day and ask me for the mobile phone, the laptop and the car and the house keys. The other uh, role model who who continues actually to be a, to be a role model and a, and a mentor for me is Lisa Hancock, who now heads up the Injured Jockeys Fund, having previously been the managing director of Newmarket and has two children. I, you know, I also had kind of leading male mentors, um, you know, Rod Street, who I share a birthday with next week, who was a big mentor uh, in my early days at, at Northern Racing. And Rod, again, is a, is a really strong family man. And I think, you know, from a male perspective, um, you know, gets that balance right between his home and, and his work life. It's so important that senior leaders, both men and women, set a positive example in leaving the office on time, taking proper holiday, attending a sports day or going to the nativity play, as it sets the tone for others in the office. If you see your manager placing importance on their personal life, whether they've got family or not, it lets you know that it's okay to enjoy yourself too. It's okay to attempt to find some sort of work-life balance. Yeah, it does. And I definitely cannot sit here now and say that I get that balance right because I most, I think I fail almost on a, on a daily basis, you know, but I do, what I do think is that, you know, whether it be COVID or whether it just be, um, you know, changes in, in society, our world has changed and, you know, much more now. There's an awful lot more, um, senior women within the racing industry, an awful lot more, um, working mums and and also you know in general people having a real commitment to family time and trying to get that kind of boundary setting or that picket fence as I like to call it which regularly gets blown away by a tornado um, <laughs> established and and yeah so every you know I think I think our world has changed but uh, most definitely every day is a is a learning day. I, I actually think the concept of balance and we talk about work life balance a lot i'm i don't know that i really can get my head around that as a concept because i don't think you are ever balanced i actually think it's more like a swinging pendulum that has to just keep swinging and it's going to go in one direction and you're at work and you're really focused on work and yes you might have that guilt about that you're not with your children and then it will swing the other way and you're with your children. And, and, and actually, I think the, the best place to get is that you are functioning as well as you can, whichever direction that pendulum is swimming in. Because if you're trying to keep it balanced, it's, I just don't think it's quite the right terminology. It is a really good point. And I'm very lucky because my partner, Chris, works all the time in Newmarket. He works on a on a stud farm. So he's always close to James. And that allows me to kind of travel and have the odd night away. And, and equally, um, I have a childminder that, that looks after James, who has always 
worked in the racing industry so there's kind of a a a real kind of level of understanding of the the pressures of of what we do but I I try really hard that when I'm at work I just completely compartmentalize and I you know it's a terrible thing for me to say but I sometimes just completely get myself so absorbed in in what I'm doing I almost just kind of forget I'm not so good the other way I'm not very good at going home and compartmentalizing and not thinking about work and and I think that's definitely something that I need to be really aware of especially as James gets older and gets more demanding of of my time and my attention that I need to get better at making sure that when I'm not at work I'm completely present in in the family home I was actually that was actually going to be my next question was how easy do you find it to swing the pendulum from one to another because I think what you said there Amy about compartmentalizing is easier at work I find it easier to block out personal things at work but it's harder to block out work things at in your personal life so how do you find that yes I would agree I think it's very easy to have that phone with that email that you start answering when they're in the bath and then well you really shouldn't do it when they're in the bath because that's probably quite dangerous although I I, mine can keep themselves up right now totally (laughs) guilty though Um, yeah, it, it's it's really difficult. And um, I know there are occasions where my children are now at the age, they will literally say, are you listening to me? And I have to think, no, I'm not, because I was halfway through this email and they will hear that a lot from me. I'm just going to finish this email. So yeah, you have to be really careful about that. But equally, and I say my children at her age now, they get it. They're starting to understand what work is all about. They, you know, it's it's part of them, hopefully shaping them as as people that are going to have to also create that balance in their lives. So am I giving them a good example? I'm not entirely sure. But um, I think one of the things I find the sticky point is the transition between the two when you're transitioning from, from work to home. So you may have just come out of a board meeting and you walk in the door and someone's shouting at you that they peed their pants. You know, it's it's such a sort of rapid transition between the two that you have to make. And that's quite a difficult moment, I think, as a working mother. So I came back, James was born at the beginning of February um, and I came back. It was meant to be it was meant to be on a phased return, two days a week, kind of slowly building up. Um, I phoned my boss, Nevin Truesdale, after the first day and said, yeah, <laughs> this this transition isn't isn't going to work. I can't kind of do what I need to do with with the team um, in, in two days. So I so I, I now work four days. But one of the things I really struggled with was that tr- that constant transitioning. And it's almost like you have to train at it that that switching between the two modes was um certainly in the early days I really struggled with I feel as though maybe I'm having a good week so I feel as though I'm getting slightly better at it and more trained um now but but it is it is just so different because as Zoe said you, you know you can just have stepped out of you know quite an, an intense board meeting or or, or meeting and and then have to you know have to go in and do bath time and bedtime stories it's um it's absolutely wonderful that you've got that opportunity 
to completely switch off from work and 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 devote your attention um to your to your family to your children but at the same time there's definitely kind of an, a knack in 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 doing it and i think that's where the kind of compartmentalization piece has has, has helped me um although as i said you know I, I fail at it on a probably daily basis and actually i think a lot of people used to talk about the commute being that time to decompress work into home so you're in your home office shed, uh, Amy. You're not sure if you're at home or at the office, but one or the other. Um, how do you, and how have you found, particularly when your son was born in the pandemic? You obviously haven't had that kind of separation between home and work. I guess that people would previously have maybe cited as a help in that compartmentalization. It's almost like your home and your work lives have become one now because of COVID and working patterns which I think are probably irrevocably changed forever these days at least to some degree aren't they how have you managed that uh, as a new mum Amy and, and Zoe as a big change because I know you were obviously commuting from Wiltshire into London before so for me it's a really interesting question because I'm sitting here saying um so I'm, I'm in my I'm in my office which is in Newmarket and Newmarket's been my home for the last 10 years and um, new market being the the way that it is. I don't think I've actually, for the last ten years, had um, that separation. But just because the 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 job and the place that is new market, it it's just so much more than than a job. It, it's it it's a lifestyle as well, and and it's a wonderful it's a wonderful lifestyle. But I live I live close to work. Um, I live in a village just outside Newmarket. Um, so it, it's all very interrelated anyway. But from a but from a work home perspective, I always work in the office or at a race course somewhere or somewhere away from home. Apart from when I'm on the iPhone or at five o'clock in the morning, just before. <laughs> when Chris has gone to work and and um and when before James has woken up I'm like just burn through the emails <laughs> or I do that really I tell you what I have started doing this is really bad I take the laptop out in the car with me and then when James falls asleep I have been known to stop the car get the laptop out <laughs> and burn through some emails whilst he's asleep I love Amy's honesty here <laughs> you got to do what you've got to do right whether that's cracking through emails with a coffee in the quiet of the early morning before everyone else is up, I'm also a fan of this, to going out for a drive, there's no right way to do things. You make your own rules. Your family, your way. Zoe then told us about her commute and the impact that that has had on her life. So for me, commuting has been a, a, a big part of my career. So um, I live in Wiltshire head office of the BHA being in London it's it's a two-hour round trip morning and evening god that is a lot isn't it? it it is and I haven't had to do it every day I've always had a very good arrangement of having some time working from a home office and, and some in London now for me that was challenging through my pregnancies it was challenging on my return to work. I mean, through my pregnancies, that commute on a train, commute on the tube, that's, it's tough. It's quite unpleasant. And also I returned to work very quickly. 
with with both my children. So I, I also had some of the physical issues of having quite a long day, um, then a long commute, and I was breastfeeding my my two. So that was quite an unpleasant experience as well. And these are the sort of things that within the workplace and when you return, these are still going on for for women, you know, and I probably hid it all. But you shouldn't really have to. But also there is a little sense of too much information and, and your colleagues don't necessarily need to know all of the details. But I did have some quite amusing commutes and I probably don't need to say much more than that um but I think yeah. that I'm just envisaging you on a train with a breast pump Zoe is <laughs> yeah <of>. well I, <laughs> yeah so you know the, the these are sort of these these things that you have to build into part of of your working life when through your pregnancy and when you return and and I guess these are the differences, the different challenges, because I listened to the, the podcast with Andrea and Claire and talking about that, that yard environment. And, you know, in the corporate side of horse racing, you're just going to have a different set of challenges, which may still be based around travel or distance and times that you have to work, you know, sort of leaving children at 730 in the morning with childcare in order to be, because it's going to take you that long to get to the office, you know. So, yeah, all different challenges. Zoe mentioned there about taking very short maternity leaves with both her children. And I wondered how both she and Amy made their decisions about how long to take off. As we've mentioned on the podcast before, people's perceptions in advance about what they want to do for maternity leave are often quite different to what happens in reality. I mean, I don't think I particularly planned it other than I was self-employed at the time and so there was an imperative really to get back to work as quickly as possible because I was only going to be getting um, statutory maternity pay and not get any maternity leave from an employer so so that was a driver for me Um, so I was just three months uh, before I went back to work with my first and six months with my second because he was a little bit more challenging with um, some reflux and things like that. So, um, and and I think the point here is you you can't plan it. You don't know how you're going to feel. You don't know how you're going to take to motherhood. Um, anything could happen. And I think you have to go with how you feel and, and your instinct I mean, I know that first day when I dropped a 12-week-old baby off with a childminder and I switched on my computer, I think I cried and thought, what what on earth am I doing? But then I got into the swing of it and and it all worked out okay. Um, and I enjoy work. I, and I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say that. I really enjoy my career. Um, and I obviously enjoy being a mother, but I would always want to have the two things. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was very, very lucky. I had a really good pregnancy, um, which wasn't planned because I actually didn't think I could have children. Um, I was basically told that I couldn't. So it was it was a bit of a bit of a surprise when, uh, although a very, very pleasant one when I found out uh, when Chris and I found out I was expecting Um and the jockey club have been um, and were completely amazing around um, exactly to Zoe's point, you know, not 
having a having an outline plan but not having a defined plan um, until after James was born, um, obviously dependent on how the birth was and how well James was. And, and you know, again, completely blessed that, um, you know, I was very, very lucky um, and continue to be very lucky. I took off, I, I took off about 16 weeks. I don't think I ever completely stepped away because I think like Zoe, you know, I absolutely love what I do. And you know, I was conscious I wanted to continue to support the team. And whilst, you know, I absolutely love being a mum and, and it's the most amazing thing I've ever done, I'm definitely not a full-time mum. Um, and, and for me, you know, work is a work is a big part of my life. I'm, I love the industry. I love my job. I love Newmarket. And I also love being a mum. I think, you know, doing the two for, for me as a person and, and trying to do both of them to the best of my ability is what I strive to do every day. So the return to work. For some people, it's a choice. Others do not have such luxury. Maybe you can't make life work financially without the income you get from your job. Maybe by the time you've paid for nursery or a childminder, it doesn't actually make financial sense to return to work at all. Or maybe you just can't make it all work practically. Remarkably, there's still a lot of judgment whatever you do. And it's amazing how often women say that they just feel they can't win. I think there's far less women now that don't return to work. And actually, I think a lot of women want to return to work. But depending on what type of job role they they have, childcare is so expensive that it doesn't always make sense. And and I think that's, that's a real shame. I think that's a real shame. Now, in my situation, and, and probably Amy's, is, is it, it does make sense to return to work, um, but it doesn't for everyone. And I, I yeah, I, it's not like I feel sorry for those women, but I'm like, surely there should be a better way that we can handle that. Yeah, I, I think, um, I, I think it's one of those things I never had, it was never even a consideration or a choice not to come back to work. It was both my love of work, but also financially driven. Why, why I came, came back so, so quickly. But the cost, I just never quite grasped the cost of childcare and, you know, the, the pressure that that puts on. And, you know, particularly, you know, people who've had this, a second child, the salary that they would need to earn to even cover the cost of childcare. I think it is a, you know, it's really prohibitive to to some women being able to return to work. And I I really believe that as a as an industry, um, you know, we need to be we need to be really cognizant of that. We need to be aware of it. And actually, we need to look at ways in which, you know, we can support women who do want to come back to work, who, you know, who who want to work and who have families. Um, And, you know, we need to make sure as an industry, we're kind of helping um, facilitate that. I wanted to just dig into the sort of practicalities of making it work around your jobs. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you have managed childcare? I know Amy said you said you've got a childminder. Kind of on a day-to-day basis, how do you juggle, I suppose, with kids and work and childcare, school, family help, anything like that really? 
started with a childminder when they were really little because I think that works really well. They get that one-on-one. Then moved into the more sort of nursery childcare scenario and did also for a period when I had two of them in nursery, I switched to having a nanny, which sounds very indulgent, but actually it was working out cheaper than having two in nursery. And it also meant I had a little bit of extra help at the beginning and the end of the day. So, I mean, that that's unbelievable, isn't it? That you could you could actually have a nanny cheaper than two in nursery. And so all of those things have to be considered, I think, when you're you're really weighing up the pros and cons of the different types of childcare that you use. And some people use au pairs, for example, who would be perhaps slightly less qualified, but still provide that extra support. Um, and then I've used the wraparound care that schools provide, breakfast clubs and after school clubs. Actually, I'm not using those now post pandemic quite as much and my children are older so they can be in the house and don't need me in there supervising them. Um, and I do recall a conversation we had when I said, oh, do you remember when you had to go to breakfast club every day and I didn't get you? And they said, yeah, we hated it. They much prefer now that, you know, everything has become a little bit more flexible, I think, post pandemic. Um, so I'm, I'm able to um get them to school certainly the days I'm working from home get them to school and and pick them up and just come straight back in my shed and and be working in the garden so there's a, you know a lot of things where it's been um where I consider myself really lucky to have the employer that I do that offers that flexibility that trust um to make everything work and did you find it easy to get the kind of hours that you would have needed on the days when you were long commuting so because on your days when you were leaving very early and home very late one of the things that's cropped up particularly with regard to people working in yards is hours of availability for childcare, and especially actually I mean in Newmarket as well I know people have said nurseries there just do not open at the times that anybody needs them no I think 7 30 is probably about the earliest certainly around here that I think I could have accessed childcare so yeah very challenging um and sometimes requiring to ask of that flexibility that you are not going to be in the office at dead on nine and and certainly in a yard environment extremely challenging and and actually it's it's really encouraging to see employers recognizing that need for flexibility and also still seeing that you know, rather than lose a good employer in that yard environment, or employee in the yard environment that just flex the hours a bit and you still have that brilliant person coming in every day. Um, meticulous planning <laughs> um, and a uh, and a wall calendar. <laughs> and I have to write things down on the calendar. So um, as I mentioned earlier, James goes to a childminder, um, a lady called Ruth in Newmarket, who has been working with children in racing um, for years and years and years. So she understands the industry, which is which has been invaluable. So if I take this week, for example, on uh, Tuesday, I went down to Epsom for their opening meeting, but I also had to be down there for Wednesday as well, uh, because of a, a jockey club meeting that we had. 
So she, I can drop James off really, really early in the morning. If I need her to, she can actually look after him overnight as well. And he absolutely loves the time that he spends with Ruth. And equally, Chris, as I said earlier, works in a stud farm, uh, works on a stud farm uh, near home. So when I'm away, I do have that comfort that Chris can pick James up or James can stay with Ruth. So it, it, it is it is really flexible. Um, and where the jockey club have been great is what I don't like to do is is have two nights away. So if I, because um, it kind of just feels a little bit wrong to um, have left when he's still asleep and then, you know, not see him for, you know, what's knocking on then for three days. Um, so if there is an overnight, the jockey club will schedule the meetings early in the morning so I can then get back home for bath and bedtime um, the following night. And that's that's been a real change. And actually, when I first thought, because there was a trip up to Aintree and I thought, actually, this is this looks really bad. I feel really guilty on both Chris and Ruth and James, you know, effectively being away for two nights and, and not seeing James for three mornings in a row. And I, but I, I thought, can I ask? Should I ask? I was worried about ask, asking the question. And, and again, you know, Old Testament to and Nevin and, and the Jockey Club team really, really accommodating and kind of said, no, we'll all start the meeting at seven o'clock in the morning to make sure you can get back home for, for bath and bedtime. So I probably got a few speeding fines on the way, <laughs> uh, but I have a reputation for that anyway. But, you know, real, real flexibility, um, which, you know, I really, really appreciate from from them. One aspect I wanted to ask Zoe and Amy about was if and how in the midst of a full-on career and a full-on family life, they make time for themselves. Zoe is currently training for a half Ironman triathlon, but her boys are a little bit older. Amy is in the thick of it with a young baby and a busy job. Is there any time for any form of self-care? Zoe picked this one up first. Honestly, I don't think when they're really small, I, I don't think you do. It's a, it's a, I think it's a really tough time and I I found it really hard when they were little I didn't enjoy it an awful lot if I'm honest I, I found it very hard I didn't carve out that space for myself I kind of was quite frazzled in the in the early days definitely now with the age that my children are at I take it I take that time a lot more uh, and I lay it out to them. I am going to do this. You know, I am going to be half an hour, uh, you know, doing a workout. And and they understand that. I think they understand that because they also see how much I'm doing in reverse because they're sports mad kids. They're in the swimming pool eight hours a week, which is me spending most of my evenings doing that with them. So when I ask for a bit in return, they understand that now. But when they're little, you, it doesn't. It's it's about being really conscious of time. And Amy talked about planning and no, you, you become a lot more conscious not to waste time. And I think women in the workplace, that's why they're, they're, they're uh, well, uh, look, I'm not saying men aren't good at it, but it, you kind of get really conscious of time. And every 15 minutes, you could do something else and, and try not to lose that time and, and kind of be more selfish about time and taking it. But I, I, I'm i looking at Amy because she's probably in the really tough moments with a 14-month-old. Well, he's just started walking. 
<laughs> and nobody warned me about that. <laughs> no, nobody warned me about childbirth and nobody warned me about when they started walking. Uh, so um, actually, so this week, so racing, the opening meeting at Epsom on Tuesday was my sixth day's racing uh, in a seven-day period. Um, and uh, I took James to Huntingdon on Monday. So James wanted to go to the right when I needed to go to the left. <laughs> so I definitely realized then that uh, um, it was definitely more challenging in terms of what um, what James needs from me as his mum and the time and the attention that he needs from me. Um, I guess the reason why I was looking bemused by the question was um, I just, I think I'm very lucky um, with Chris and Ruth and my family and my friends that there is that support there. Um, but equally, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know, really. I just think I'm, I just, I, I don't necessarily think there's kind of ever real separation in, in, in my life. And I think that's driven by I, me as a person, but also by the job that I do and in, in the place that I do it. So it's quite, I think that's why I was looking for music. It's just quite a hard question for me to answer. I mean, you know, Newmarket um, and the Jockey Club um, have absolutely changed my life and I'm, I'm grateful to you know to, to both of them um and Newmarket I guess is a it, it, it is a it is a unique place and for me it, it's a place that I absolutely love uh but for others it is challenging and 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 what I love having um having you know you know become a mum to James is you know on lots of the mum groups that I go to lots of the mums and lots of James's friends are are people that work in the racing industry as well and actually getting that insight into the roles that they do and the challenges that they face as as working mums but also you know just that I, I guess just that blurring of the lines is it's yeah, I, I guess it for me, it's something that I enjoy. It's, it just, I, I think, suits me as a person. And, and actually, both Newmarket and the Jockey Club has, has afforded me, um, you know, a really, really nice life, which I'm really, really grateful for. And I'm you know, very happy that, um, you know, James, James will grow up um, in, in Newmarket and in, in the racing industry. Amy mentioned mum groups just then. It can be hard when you're thrust into mother and baby groups, or if you're one of the really rare ones, dad and baby groups, to find like-minded people to support you at such a difficult time. Making new friends when you're sleep-deprived and on your knees can be a lifesaver for some and a real challenge for others. You might meet your best friend, or you might meet people with whom you have nothing in common. How does that play out? It's really valuable to have and learn from other people's experiences. Um, and you can learn so much from other mothers who are experiencing different a different way of life. However, what I mean by that for me as a working mother is just having some other people around me who understand what I'm going through. So I have a couple of close mum friends if you like that um where my children are at school with with their children and they also have 
quite full-on jobs um, in, a, in a corporate type setting where there is a lot of conference schools going on in the car park outside the school. You know, I, I, I wave at a friend and I can see that she'll be indicating that she's still on a conference call. Now, what benefit is that? I suppose it's just that little bit of getting what you're both going through and sort of supporting each other on that and having different priorities as well. Um, but but I wouldn't advocate that therefore you are not, <laughs> you know, engaging with, with mums who are um, perhaps working, uh, you know, and are not working because I think as mothers... And as women, we should be learning from everyone's experiences. We really should. But it does help to have those few who are kind of going through what you're going through. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I, 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 for me, kind of every day is a school day. And actually, I think, I think for me, I really need the people, uh, the, the mums in the group who are doing it completely differently. Because I think they're almost like, like almost my my grounding piece that I think I probably could be that person that just works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So actually to have the, that, you know, the people like Chris, um, pulling me back, James, you know, to a degree, all those only 14 months old pulling me back, but also, um, the, the mums within, within the group, um, kind of, you know, saying, you know, inviting, James and I places and, and, and actually, you know, going out, doing those things, spending that quality time. So I, I almost get, I almost get more from the kind of complete opposites because it's a check to say, come on, Amy, you've got this one opportunity to be the best mum that you can be to James. And, and that has to be, a, you know, a priority. I love that Zoe and Amy have raised two completely different but complementary viewpoints here. We need people who get it to understand and help us. And we also need people who absolutely don't get it too. Being a working mum is hard and sometimes you just need a complete break. We finished with an any other business call out, a bit like a board meeting really. I think the only, the, the one last thing I would say from my point of view is to encourage, um, encourage people to ask for help when they need it. Um, because it's very easy to struggle away on your own sometimes and not to ask for help. And, you know, we really must do that and we must encourage that in the workplace as well, that if, if something's not quite right, that you speak up um, and that we are always sort of supportive of what people are going through, whether that's parenting thing a caring thing you know it's all about flexibility isn't it and and so ask for help help each other I would encourage people to think about that you know that's um such a such a great point in terms of asking for help making sure that you you're talking sharing and actually if something doesn't feel right the chances are it's probably wrong and 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 actually as employers you know we sh- and, and as racing we should be providing the right um and safe environment to nurture working mums you know if that's not happening in in all instances you know i think it's almost knowing 
that there is a support network and and actually I think now an environment whereby there is help, there is support and there is the commitment for it to be as as good as it can can be. today thanks for listening and don't forget to follow the podcast to receive all new episodes as they land it would really help us if you could rate the podcast and leave a review telling us what you'd like to hear about this is a resource for you and everyone in the industry and we'd love to hear from you we'll be back in a couple of weeks so see you then